0: Everybody, you're listening to the rock podcast with fox and maya thanks for supporting the show
1: this is a show with adult content so if you're not of legal edge where you live and turn off now
0: this podcast is about rope bondage rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast.
1: Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We rope partners have been practicing for about five years and we live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by Friction Live. Friction Live offers a variety of king classes, mostly centred around rope and things you can do to complement your rope. You can follow along the classes from the comfort of your own home and you can either attend them live or view them recorded at your convenience. Check them out on frictionlive.ca
0: So today we're answering a question sent to us by one of our lovely listeners. So remember, you can send questions to us and we'll answer them on air, just like we're going to do today.
1: Today's question is from Droplet, and she sent us a really awesome message. Let's listen to it now.
2: Uh, First off, I wanted to thank you both so much for your work doing your podcast together. I've listened to your first 65 episodes after discovering you just a few weeks ago. I do have a question that I think might be useful for you to answer on your podcast about people entering the kink scene for the very first time with rope as their introduction. So here's my backstory. Uh, Truly until a few weeks ago, I was completely vanilla. I didn't even really know that a kink scene existed. I'd never heard of a lot of the fetishes and kinks that Um, that you guys talk about a lot um, at all. Um, I have been married to my vanilla husband for about 10 years, and I have two toddlers um, at home, so I'm a mom as well. Uh, I mistyped the word shibori. That's a fabric dyeing technique. I'm a fiber artist. Um, I mistyped that in a Google search, and I saw my first picture of shibari rope uh, bondage, and I instantly knew that I needed to know more about it. Um, the aesthetics of it appealed to me a lot as a fiber artist, um, and I knew that there was just something about it that I wanted to know more about. Um, so I'm an avid podcast listener, much more than a blog or an article reader. I can do it while I do a. I can listen to podcasts while I do a bunch of other things. Um, so I typed Shabari into iTunes, and your podcast popped up. Um, uh, I went back to episode zero and started from there, and that has been one hundred percent of my entrance into the kink world. Um, uh, I since then, I've been exploring quite a bit. Um, I have been doing a fair amount of self-tying and a little bit of practice. Um, On my partner, Uh, he has been very willing to play along, but he's not an experienced rigger, obviously. Um, And jumping into an event that's hosted fairly locally, and they do have some. um, I'm not that far from a fairly large city. It feels extremely intimidating. Um, You've talked on a couple of your episodes about... Um, Things like how welcome other kinks are at rope events um, and having having other people there be not supportive of, of other kinks, um, as somebody who has never been in a room where sexual activity was happening with anyone other than myself, um, being in that kind of space, I just have no idea how my how I would react since I've never had anything like that happen before. Um, intellectually, it, it's something that I think it would be fine with me, but it just feels very intimidating to, um, to jump into an event like that, having not had any um, experience. Or anyone to talk to in real life who's ever done it, um, and, and not knowing any anyone who would be there, um, I have contacted the organizers of these events through Fat Life, um, and they answered my questions in a way that I felt comfortable with in terms of discussing levels of nudity and rules about um, sexual activity going there. So I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what I would be walking into. Um, It's just, it's still very intimidating. Um, And this is leaving aside the whole COVID situation, which makes attending in-person events in our part of the United States a different kind of scary right now. Um, So my question is how can a brand new vanilla couple or person get started with rope, especially with limited ability to attend in-person events? Um, I have a secondary question, which may or may not work well in the same way, Um, but if I'm being honest, the fact that that I don't feel like I fit the mold of someone new to kink, I'm a 35-year-old mother of two um, that would describe myself as very curvy um, or or definitely on the heavier uh, build. How do I understand if I'll make a fool out of myself or not? Um, This is not something that I've ever experienced before. My, my sole understanding of it has a lot to do with looking at images um, and especially images on FetLife and I do not see my body type or age represented all that often. Um, I feel like I see a lot of 18-year-olds who are very, very slender. um, And that is almost the polar opposite of of who I am. Um, So thanks again for all of your help. And I look forward to listening to the rest of your podcast episodes.
1: Wow. Thank you, Droplet. There certainly is a lot in your message. And it is a very nice message, So. Uh, thank you so much for sending it. Thank you as well for giving us some context because that allows us to connect to where you're coming from on this question as a person. And it makes it easier for us to uh, try to answer you in a way that's going to be useful. So uh, there's quite a lot to unpack in your message and we're going to try to address that um, part by part. Let's get to it. So Maya, uh, Droplet talks to us a bit about how people discover rope in the first place. And I have to say, her origin story might be the most epic one I have ever heard. Like talk about a blessed typo, like trying to look for a thing and finding Shibari instead.
0: Yeah. And now I'll be looking up Shibori to see what yeah, that is.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm quite curious what Shibori is now. Um So for me, it was the opposite. I came into Rope by Kink. What about you, Maya? Would you say you started Kink with Rope? Absolutely, yeah.
0: I mean, I started Rope more with Power Exchange and Mm -hmm. being interested in that. Uh, But Rope happened to be something that was talked about by people I knew. And so that um, is where I got into Rope.
1: Okay, so you're a bit closer uh, to our listener here in the way you got into things. Uh, whereas I'm not as much. And I suspect, yeah, your perspective on the whole thing is quite different when you are coming from a vanilla world and seeing Robe for the first time versus when you're coming from within an existing king community, right?
0: Yeah, and it very much depends how you then enter Robe. So she's coming to rope from our podcast and we're obviously a DS couple who do a lot of kinks and so we talk about those kinks um, very naturally as part of our discussion um, but if you go to um, some of the rope studios which might be more focused on rope without other kinks uh, that might give you a completely different um, experience of doing rope for the mm-hmm. first time. So there's many many different ways to do rope. And where people who do rope are on the kinky spectrum will really vary depending on the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, I've been uh, working through the 30 questions of the rope uh, challenge recently. And there are a number of people who put themselves as vanilla as their role, yeah. which I was quite surprised about. <laughs> um, so people might be on vet life and consider rope uh, not particularly kinky for them. Or someone taking photos for Instagram might see it as non-sexual and it could be more of a um, stretching and and something like aerial or something like Mm -hmm. that.
1: Something more artistic or athletic. But then at the same time, from those very same uh, photos of someone doing aerial type positions in rope, in yoga pants, you can't really tell if it's just a sports type pursuit or if maybe that person has a yoga pants fetish and is an exhibitionist and is hugely turned on by it like there's the activity the way you do rope and then there's the intent right
0: absolutely kink happens in people's brains Mm -hmm. um they might express it outwardly but you don't know if they're going to express it outwardly
1: yeah unless there's a lot of like scary whips and big canes and then you can pretty safely say okay this this is kinky shit
0: I would agree, although it might be a photo shoot. Mm. I mean, photo shoots aren't kinky for some of the models that are involved. So that's fascinating too.
1: Mm. Then Another part of Droplet's message that I thought was really interesting is the relationship to the audience when you play at an event or in public. And I think that's really important. Um, I am someone who tends to like more sexual play in general. And it's very useful for me to be reminded of how some people might feel about that and to hear our listener here say that she might not be comfortable uh, seeing other people have sexual play in front of her. Uh, very useful to remember that not everyone is the same as us and likes the same things as us. And so having that reminder of the other people, the people watching the audience and knowing how to behave appropriately, given the venue, given the event, given who's present. I, I find that quite valuable.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. And there's also something about um, remembering that you can walk away in at an event. Mm-hmm. So um, at our uh, event that we have, our parties, there's a place downstairs and a cookie tin and the suggestion is if you feel a bit uncomfortable, take a break, move away from the um thing that you're looking at and, and eat a cookie, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is something common at other places as well. So if you're at an event which does allow sexual play, there's also something about letting the people who've come to be able to express their kinks mm-hmm. uh not be judged. Um, but as you say, the venue is very important. So if we're doing rope in public um, and we have an episode on rope at the beach, uh, yeah. as an example, um, the audience didn't choose to be there. And so we're, we're going to minimize things like sexual play um, or any kinds of other kinks or nudity that are likely to make other people uncomfortable, right?
1: Not to mention break laws potentially. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Depending on the country. Um and if we're doing well rope at event, what do we do there?
1: Well, it's a bit harder because, yeah, the, the public situation is clear cut, like sexual play, I don't think is acceptable in public. But at a rope event, you really need to gauge what kind of event it is and what the expectations are. And you have to look both at how it's being advertised and described by its organizers and also the rea- the reality of it, because we've had the experience of going to events that in theory were sex positive. And then when we got there, the mood wasn't as sex positive as we expected.
0: Yeah. And so we um, adapt to the vibe to, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, the rope jam, we've had an episode about rope jam etiquette um, also in the last uh, few months. And that one might be useful Uh to look at how to enter one of these events for the first time. But what she did in terms of contacting the organizers this is a great idea. Yeah, we would it's definitely, definitely a great first that. step. Yeah.
1: Uh, and then after that, you just need to try to develop context awareness skills and empathy. And you might need to make some compromises so everyone has a good time at the event.
0: Yeah, and if you're doing something which you have any doubts about, so sometimes we do, uh, let's say, uh, some needle play at Mm -hmm. an event or we might want to do knife play or blood play and we would talk then to the event organisers and see what... If any, they're comfortable with.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And when approaching this topic, it seems to me useful to be open minded and have conversations rather to stick to extreme attitudes. And I'm caricaturing on purpose here, but like on the one end of the spectrum you have, oh sex is dirty and shameful, and no one should ever have an opportunity to see sex ever. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have, oh, we don't give a fuck about who sees what and what reaction they might have to it because that's their problem. It's not our problem. Yeah. And I think probably you want to stick the landing somewhere in the middle of that spectrum.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think understanding um, that Although you get to do what you like in certain circumstances, other people are going to react to that is is definitely relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're the watcher, so play is um, attending, then I think if you are uncomfortable, you could talk to the people about their play afterwards once they've done their aftercare and checking in that. Their- it's time. Um, And that sometimes helps us to understand, okay, well, what was happening in that scene?
1: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Another point that I want to make here is that your relationship to the mood of an event and what you're comfortable with at an event can evolve over time. So for someone like Droplet, who's newer, she might be comfortable with less things at the beginning. And as she goes to events more and more and sees more things, her zone of comfort might expand. Whereas we've also experienced the opposite where uh, we had a culture here in Thailand where events used to be more sex positive and over time they have gotten less so. And so we tend now to be less comfortable having sexual play at those events that we would have in the past. Yeah. yeah. It can go both ways is what I mean.
0: Definitely. And also what sexuality is, is also very variable. What you might see between two people might be sexual, it might not be sexual.
1: What's sensuality, what's sexuality, that's gonna depend on the individual. Yeah,
0: and you as a, um, a watcher are also putting your perspective when you watch. Just because you think it's sexual or you don't think it's sexual doesn't mean that you're correct. So it's quite an interesting topic.
1: Absolutely. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee Makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind the scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. So Maya, getting to the core of Droplet's question, she asked us how to get started learning Rope. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I think there's a lot of opportunities to learn Rope. And particularly if she's in the States, she said she was near some uh, studios. That's another um, great opportunity to Mm. actually do in-person things.
1: So many options, right?
0: Yep, there are books, classes, other resources, and it can be hard to know what to start with.
1: I would say in-person classes are usually considered the best way. But in COVID times, you might not be comfortable with that option. So let's maybe look at what she can do without getting in a room with a lot of other people.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the flip side of the pandemic is that there is a lot of online stuff now, Hmm. um, which we found extremely useful. Uh, Podcast-wise, there's not loads. Well, I think ours is great, though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, she, to but she seems to, to be listened to most of that already. Yeah, yeah. Um, so perhaps there's something about rather than starting with the resources, starting with herself. So starting with, okay, what is she most interested in, mm-hmm. first of all?
1: Yeah, I think if you really find your passion, if you find your fun, if you find your love for rope and you pursue that, that will always be the best way because the motivation will keep you progressing.
0: Yeah. And there are lots of video tutorials, um, as well as online classes, which mm-hmm. you can, um, look at.
1: So we think the ones we offer through ropepodcast.com are pretty great. Uh, especially if you're getting started, because they don't talk only about the technique of rope, but also the how and the why you build your play. And I think that's really important. Like you can find many websites that will teach you 300 different patterns you Mm -hmm. can learn to tie. But I don't think that's really what the core of rope is for everyone. I think having more of a curriculum where you progress through not only learning a way to tie a knot, but also a philosophy and an understanding of rope as a connective activity uh, can be more valuable. And especially for a newer person, Uh, I think that curriculum is very good.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the big, big pieces that a tie and we've talked about this many times mm-hmm. the tie is not necessarily the play so you know you learn how to do a tie or respond to a tie if you're a bottom mm-hmm. but the connection between the two people is is a big part of it unless of course you want to do decorative rope um, yeah. in which case maybe the tie is more of the focus so that's where asking yourself what type of rope attracts you the most is really the the way to focus your learning
1: mm-hmm. There is definitely more than one way to do rope and more than one motivation to do rope. So you need the resources that will match your style, essentially.
0: We do have an episode, uh, which is, I think, episode 42, about which we called Learning the Ropes, um, which is about how to develop and grow in your rope practice. And re-listening to that one might be useful to give you more ideas of how you might do that. Mm.
1: And then the next part of Droplet's question is regarding... Doing rope with what might or might not consider a normal body, if there is in fact such a thing. And we recently talked to Alexia about that. So there's an interesting connection there.
0: We did. She's on episode 96 Mm -hmm. um, and she talked about diverse bodies in rope. And it's a great episode, really um, goes into this topic. Mm -hmm. But first of all, I would um, challenge the term normal body. So I am um, a curvy 43-year-old. Yeah, so um, droplet
1: can feel good about that. We are both older than her and also not very athletic.
0: <laughs> well, you're quite athletic, but I am, uh, yeah, curvy. My bust size is uh, double F. Like there's, there's uh, um, a curviness there, which is not necessarily the teeny tiny fairies that you see on uh, life. And what I would say is you're very likely to find your body when you actually... Attend an event is much closer to the average. Mm-hmm. The images on FetLife are not representative of the people who you're like. I to would
1: make. say, in particular, the images on kinky and popular, okay. which is not all of FetLife, because I think FetLife actually can represent a good variety of body types and ages and sizes and genders and all of that. If you look outside of KNP, so for our listeners that are not super familiar with FedLife, Kinky and Popular is a section of the website where the photos and the videos and so on that receive the most loves and the most comments are going to be showcased. So it's purely a popularity context, as the name implies. And the thing about that uh, is that it's going to showcase mostly only media that represent a certain mass market appeal type of content and body. Yeah. And if you think that is all of kink, that is a hugely distorted lens through which to see kink and what normal kink is. And honestly, what you're most likely to see at the top of uh, KNP is the result of professional photo shoots with professional models. Yeah. And if we stop one second to consider what that implies, a professional model is someone who, for starters, has been hyper-selected to have a certain type of genetics. And what those genetics are going to be are going to be whatever fits the current trend and might not necessarily be optimal for health. Uh, If it's someone like with a super low weight or a super low uh, body fat percentage. That's not necessarily the most healthy, happy way to live your life. Uh, Then you have that person who's already an outlier genetically go through a very strenuous preparation process, which might include things like dehydrating their body for a couple of days before the photo shoot to look even more shredded or whatever, which can also be quite unhealthy. Uh, Then after that, You have a professional makeup artist that's going to spend a few hours doing their makeup, doing their hair. You probably don't do that when you get up in the morning and before you go to your robe jam, usually. Then you have another professional who spent years learning their trade and has potentially tens of thousands of dollars of equipment, who is going to do the lighting and the photography. And then you have yet another professional who is going to retouch and edit the picture. So when you add all these layers and all that money, all that time, all that expertise, you arrived at a standard that a regular human being without that huge support staff at their back has basically no chance of equaling ever.
0: Uh, when I realized how much Photoshop could do, uh, I was super shocked.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I think that's a really educational um, piece. If you're someone who's looking at these photos and thinking they're real, hmm. take a look behind the scenes about how retouching can be done. Oh, Because it's yeah. fascinating. And
1: there are many very fun videos on YouTube and so on that show you like the before and after of photo retouching and even like the photos of celebrities you see, a lot of them would have been retouched and it's honestly really easy to take £20 or more off of a person in Liquify in Photoshop. Yeah.
0: Uh, so we think it might be more beneficial to have more realistic expectations God, and promote yes. a different type of focus in MOLP.
1: And try to have fun and honestly it might be sexier and more fun when you don't have a strobe light flashing in your face yeah. like on a professional photo set. Uh, try to be healthy, try to have your well-being in mind, like just, just do you and like don't, don't worry about what the Kardashians look like.
0: Yeah. And in terms of rope, if you look at our rope podcast, 30 questions challenge, mm-hmm. it's a huge variety of what I would consider more normal people doing. Yeah. Rope. Uh, all kinds of body types, genders, everything. So it's much more, um, representative of the the real people yeah and
1: if you go to real life events at some point when the pandemic allows us to you probably are going to find out that most of the people there don't look like the people on kinky and popular on fat life or on instagram for that matter and And, are much closer to your neighbors and
0: so on Yeah. So the good news is it's possible to do rope with any type of body.
1: God, yes. And there are truly no limits to weight, height, and so on that would ever bar you from doing rope. And that applies to both floor and suspension rope.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So there's a bit of a myth around that Maya isn't there.
0: Yeah, and there's writings by both Christian Red and Shay Blondie, and I'll link to them. They're also in the Alexia episode links.
1: Can you remind us what the title of Christian yeah. Red's writing is?
0: Christian Red wrote the fucking myth that won't die, which is essentially about some people not being able to be suspended. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, relatively well-known Riggers have written about this and remind us that actually anyone can be suspended.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Obviously, I made you say that out loud just to see you blush by saying fucking on the air. Um, There is, I think, some dishonesty around that. I think it's been historically used by some people who have an agenda and might not want to play with a certain person because they don't feel sexually attracted to them. But rather than saying that, which... I think might be hard to say, but I think it's also okay to say, well, I'm I'm not attracted by you and I'm looking to do sexual play with a person I'm sexually attracted to. Uh, they've been fairly cowardly and fed them bullshit about, oh, you're too heavy to be suspended, so sorry, I would love to suspend you, but we can't do it. Well, that, I don't think that's okay.
0: I think there's also a piece around confidence. Um, one of the challenges is that many of the rope classes Uh, teach with bottoms who are a particular body type and if you've only ever really seen people or learned that it might be hard for you to know how to uh, adapt your rope so some of it is about the rigor and the rigor's confidence and I think it would be better for them to own up to that piece Mm. uh, rather than saying it's about the bottom
1: yeah absolutely and also if the rigor is on a bit on an of an ego trip and chasing the dragon and trying to get to the top of k n p and so on and just have more likes on Instagram, they will have a bias to choose the type of models that they think people want to see.
0: Um So on the one hand, there's no limits. On the other hand, I think it's worth acknowledging that the psychology of this can be quite challenging. Oh
1: yeah, it's easy for us to say, everyone's normal, everyone can do rope, that doesn't mean we never feel self-conscious about our bodies. Absolutely.
0: All the time.
1: (laughs) Literally all the time. Uh, We live in a world where social media has taken a big place. And that's uh, good and bad, probably. There's some good and some bad to it. Uh, The way most social media is designed in terms of the algorithms that run the platform and determine what you see in your feed every day tend to result in creating eco-chambers and hyperpolarized tastes. Like the more you see of something and the more you like something and so the more other people like something, the more of that thing is being shown to you again and again and again. It's like the epitome of confirmation bias. And sadly, as a result, yes, yeah, certain body types that conform to that hyper-laser-focused uh, trend of the moment or taste of the moment are going to get more likes. are going to climb on top of the charts. And eventually that's all you see. And that becomes the normal by default almost because everything else kind of getting pushed out.
0: And I don't tend to look at kinky and popular anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that is around taking back ownership uh, of your own taste. So looking at the people that you're friends with and the Uh, photos they post or um, searching particular tags that's Mm -hmm. often uh, quite common and leaving the top people in the tag and moving down to kind of more the middle area where there's going to be much more of a variety of body image on that tag
1: absolutely and I think fat life is doing a good thing there which is their feed to my knowledge is not uh messed up with in the way like a Facebook feed would be where Facebook actually scramble things to decide what they show you. I think life just actually properly shows you chronologically all the activity of all the people you're friends with and you follow. And so by uh, curating who you follow on FetLife and using your own feed rather than using the kiki and popular section, you get to decide what you see. And if you want to see transsexual people in rope, then you just follow a few accounts uh, of people who pose that type of content. If you want to see bigger bodies, if you want to see mm-hmm. rope, if you want to see men in rope, if you want to see rope that's more about the feelings of it rather than being perfect and super pretty in the photo and so on. Just find those people who create and share that content, follow them or become friends with them. And then you get to see very nice stuff every day.
0: And at the same time, I think there's quite an important point, which is that people still get to choose who they tie with, bottoms and tops. Mm -hmm. Um, None of us are everybody's uh, cup of tea, to use a very British expression. Indeed. So um, it's okay for people to have different tastes and preferences. Uh, There is a piece around us all challenging our tastes and preferences and, and looking at and understanding where they come from, but it's hard to change them entirely and while there's going to be people out there for you mm-hmm. that you're a good match for, none of us are a good match for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, and that's fine. You you don't need to tie with everyone. You just need to, need to find your people mm-hmm. um, and do the kind of work that you enjoy with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And... Occasionally, it will be frustrating because Mister or Mrs. super rigor that you really want to tie with doesn't like the type of person you are and is not excited to. It well, doesn't with you. like the
0: type of body you are. I mean. That you don't know why they've made their choices yeah
1: and I I would recommend not asking like okay. I, I do believe firmly in no, no, no is a complete yes. sentence yeah, agreed. so agreed. like if someone's not excited to play with you today just move on and process your frustration and yeah move on to the next person who will be enthusiastic playing with you All right, so in conclusion, Maya, that was a really interesting listener's mail from Droplet, I thought, and it really opened up some uh, topics we feel quite passionate about.
0: Yeah, remember that Rob is what you wanted it to be for yourself.
1: Yeah, you're not doing it to attain the standard or to match an expectation. You're hopefully doing it to have fun.
0: Absolutely.
1: And please remember that we think all rope is valid and all bodies are valid.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So that's all from us at the Rope Podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast.
0: If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife.
1: And if you like this podcast and you would enjoy more episodes like this one, find all the ways you can support us on our website, which is ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: And have fun tying.